Welcome to HJ Talks About Social Housing, a dedicated podcast series from our social housing team at Hugh James. In this podcast, we talk about the latest sector developments and topical issues to help provide some practical guidance on all aspects affecting housing associations. We are lawyers, so we will touch on the legal standpoints surrounding the topics, but don't worry, we'll keep the legal ease to a minimum. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to the Hugh James Employment Team podcast on remote working and GDPR implications. Uh, My name is Eleanor Bamber. I'm a a senior associate in the employment and HR services team, and I'm also joined by my colleague. Hello, everyone. My name is Sally Owens, and I'm a solicitor in the employment team at Hugh James, joining Eleanor today in this podcast. So Sally and I are going to have a rattle through um, some of the GDPR challenges which have been posed by the virtual world in which we're all now working. Both Sally and I have been working from home uh, exclusively since March this year, as I'm sure many of you and your employees have done. Um, And we've certainly had a number of queries which have arisen over the months um, dealing with the transition from a mainly office-based staff um, to staff working from home as a almost exclusively or if not the majority of the time. Um, so we're just going to look at some of the challenges that employers have faced and looking at some of the main data protection implications um, of working from home. Um, Sally, from your perspective, I, I don't know if you've uh, had, well, certainly employers coming to you yeah. uh, concerned about uh, home office working and, and, and those sorts of issues. That's it. I mean, absolutely. I think probably the first thing to note is that obviously home offices, especially at the time of when we went into the initial lockdown at the end of March, were created um, very, very quickly. And it is a fact, of course, that whenever an organisation creates a new way of accessing its data, it puts that data at, at greater risk. Um, obviously, some of the main concerns around the home office were that staff um, may be sharing workspaces with others in the household. Um, and data controllers generally, you as employers, will have um, less control over the data leaving the office and how it is stored and then accessed um, within the home. Um, so lots of lots of things initially to consider in terms of, of working from home with um, and also equipment, things like employees not necessarily having a work laptop um, and having to use their, their home computer, which, of course, might be used for both personal and work purposes. So lots of lots of things to consider. But one thing that I had initially recommended to quite a few of my clients was that the, the ICO had compiled a very useful security checklist for employers to help identify any security vulnerabilities, which um, which is a good starting point for all employers, really, when looking at the types of things that need to be considered in the context of, of re- remote working. And, and, and that security checklist is, is very useful. Not sure if that's something that you came across, Eleanor, um, in your preparations. Yes, it is. And the ICO's website generally um, has been very useful in terms of mm. updating on the issue of remote working and, and COVID um, issues arising in the workplace. And certainly, I think one of the sort of the first or the first top tip on that web, that list is that um, organisations need to be mindful that employees continue to follow the policies and procedures and guidance that um, employers have in place to deal with data protection. And certainly from um, employers' perspective, it's it's those data security breaches which are yeah. going to be of most concern and making sure that employees not only guard against those, but also continue to understand how they are how they should be reporting security yeah. breaches that they may become aware of, um, even whilst they're working from home. And um, certainly employers have 
I think have had legitimate concerns that employees perhaps um, the, the standards perhaps slip a little bit when you're yeah. working from home compared to when you're in the physical workplace. And that it's really important that staff need to continue to be reminded about good data protection practices and, and how to make a notification within that 72 hour um, deadline or certainly staff ought to know who within the organisation they need to refer breaches to so that a notification um, decision can be taken. Yeah absolutely I agree with that Eleanor and I, I certainly think from from my side of things there, there, there probably was a little bit of a misconception that just because you're working from home that sort of it, it means that almost data protection principles don't apply and that certainly you wouldn't be under a requirement to report a breach to the ICO if, if that happened at home because it's happened outside of the office. So yeah, absolutely agree with you on that in terms of it being crucial that employees are still aware of what procedures to follow in that situation. And again, I think that probably then also sort of moves us on to how important it is that staff continue to be trained in in good data protection principles and that they are ultimately familiar with, with all the policies and procedures that are in place. Um, obviously, lots of employees will have been trained on data protection when the GDPR first came, you know, first came into force a couple of years ago. But we've moved on quite significantly from then. And especially now in the context of all employees working and many employees working from home, lots of employers and the majority of employers will now have different practices, different policies in place. And so it probably is worth considering at this stage, if, if you haven't already done so, is now the time to to undertake perhaps some refresher training on on data protection, making sure that your employees absolutely do know what to do in the event that, for example, a breach occurs outside of the office um, and that they're also familiar with any new policies or procedures that might be might be in place as a result of home working. So really important that you you are still ticking that box from a training perspective and that you are considering whether any up to date training is, is required. Absolutely. And as, as Sally and I have said, we would recommend the ICO's um, website, certainly for those top 10 tips and also um, mm. many other areas. So that leads us on to our, our next topic, really, uh, which is the issue of monitoring productivity. This is an issue which many employers have had to grapple with over the last few months, mostly prompted by genuine legitimate concerns about um, losing control over employees who are no longer um, more easily uh, monitored in the workplace itself and actually how employers can look to perhaps um, get back that control um, in terms of employees working at home. We have had lots of queries about whether monitoring software, such as um, logging keystrokes, mouse movements, mm. uh, logging of applications, enabling webcams, etc., whether there is a business case or a justification for employers now using this type of software um, to monitor employees who are who are working from home um, in the main. Now, the difficulty here, of course, is that this type of monitoring um, is something that employers will need to find a lawful basis for under the GDPR and the, the lawful basis in many cases the employer will look to rely on is that of legitimate interest but Sally as we know legitimate interest um, isn't just a catch-all and gets you no. uh, doesn't get you home and dry um, because you also need to be considering whether that is a proportionate use um, of, of that type of, of those type of measures. Absolutely. And I do think that the general consensus around this, this type of technology, technology generally in terms of um, software that's available that will help you monitor your employees and productivity at home, I think the general consensus is that this type of technology is quite often disproportionate. 
um, and that it might be difficult to find and to be able to rely on that legal basis. Something that really sticks with me, Eleanor, is is something that I read, um, something by the Working Party, and, and they said that technologies that monitor communications can have a chilling effect on the fundamental rights of employees. And that's something that's really stuck with me when it comes to monitoring um, productivity and whether that is lawful under the GDPR. And and as with as is the case with many, um, you know, when it comes to establishing whether you have a legal basis, you know, there's never really a blanket approach that can be applied in these situations. And it really does need to be considered on a case by case basis as to whether or not you have that legal basis. And of course, the circumstances in the particular case as to why the employer deems it necessary to undertake that type of activity. And again, I think that ties back then to making sure that you are undertaking things like a data protection um, impact assessment. Um, if you are thinking about introducing this type of, of technology, which, as we say, is is does is considered as quite dis- disproportionate. So um, always, always make sure you're undertaking that assessment. And of course, then making sure that you're updating your policies, your privacy notices, your security policies, if this is something that you're going to be doing. And, and obviously, under no circumstances would we recommend that employers do this type of monitoring on, on a covert um, basis. Absolutely. And just picking up on the issue of covert um, issues, one of the things that has um, also arisen during this time of remote working um, is the issue of remote investigations, remote Mm. hearings, um, whether that's in the disciplinary or grievance context, or even, of course, um, the Employment Tribunal has has had to conduct issues or conduct hearings remotely. And quite often employers are concerned and legitimately concerned Mm. that not only might they want to uh, record those hearings, but they may also be concerned about the employee themselves covertly recording. Um, That's certainly an issue that's cropped up uh, on a number of occasions for us over the last few months. Um, And certainly from our perspective, as you've highlighted, Sally, we would never be um, uh, advising that an employer should ever covertly record and that any any recording that the employer may want to do, that needs to be something that's um, absolutely transparent and and flagged up to the employee at the start of of the hearing or or the investigation. However, of course, we cannot guard against um, the employee who may decide to take it upon themselves to covertly record the matter themselves. Um, so I don't know if Sally, you've, you've had a couple yeah, of issues. Yeah, quite recently, it, actually. So um, obviously in this sort of situation, as you say, you can't, ultimately, you, you can't prevent an employee from covertly recording um, a meeting or an investigation meeting. However, um, in order to minimise that risk, um, obviously at the start of any type of um, virtual meeting, it's important to ask the employee to confirm that they aren't recording the meeting and of course, remind them that it is against company policy um, to do that. Um, obviously, you can remind them as well that um, covert recording could be viewed as a breach of trust and confidence, as well as a misconduct um, issue in itself warranting disciplinary action. Um, it's worth reminding them as well that if you have a note taker present at the meeting, because the meeting itself is not being recorded because it's not the employer's policy to do so, obviously remind the employee that notes will be taken and they'll be shared with them and that they they themselves have the rights to take notes at home. Obviously, in the event that the employee is covertly recording and that there's a risk that that could potentially be admitted in any subsequent tribunal proceedings, it is always safer to assume that you are being recorded. And I think that's kind of my main message that I've been giving to employers over the last few months is that even if your policy is that you're not going to record these types of virtual meetings, 
always act on the basis and always assume that you are being recorded because ultimately that recording could end up in a tribunal bundle um, further down the line. So always think about what you're saying and and be aware that that could end up um, as evidence in, in any potential uh, you know, uh, subsequent uh, proceedings. Absolutely. And I'm always reminded in terms of employers asking the question about, well, surely um, if somebody's covertly recorded, that couldn't possibly go forward. You know, we didn't know about it. We didn't mm. sanction it. And it, it's been done um, against company policy. <clears throat> you know, can we can we apply to have that evidence withheld from the tribunal um, or that recording held from the tri- withheld from the tribunal? And, and of course, the, the issue will be the relevance of that evidence. And unfortunately, the courts are very clear that it might have been obtained in a distasteful fashion. But that doesn't mean that if it isn't relevant to the proceedings, that it can necessarily be withheld. So uh, as Sally says, it, it's, it's really important that... Um, with all of these types of remote hearings and indeed hearings in person, you can never um, you can never guarantee that somebody wouldn't have their phone out. But obviously the, the um, remote working issue uh, elevates the opportunity for employees to potentially be capturing those um, on electronic devices or on their computers. Um, yeah. So just to move on then, um, we've looked at lots of issues in terms of remote working. Um, we thought it would also be helpful just from a GDPR perspective to look also at some issues to do with um, temperature testing and use of CCTV uh, in the workplace. So although this is straying a little bit um, from the remote uh, the remote working uh, categories, it's um, they are certainly live issues and ones that we've been frequently asked about over the last few months. So looking firstly then to temperature testing, we are often used, or we, sorry, we are often asked, can an employer use temperature testing mm-hmm. in the workplace um, to try and protect against outbreaks of COVID-19 spreading through it and to assist the employer with being able to work out which of their workforce may be uh, may need to self-isolate etc. So as we've touched on earlier that, that this will obviously fall within uh, squarely within the realm of data protection law. Yeah. Um, the Information Commissioner's Office confirms that um, obtaining health information about an individual is special category personal mm-hmm. data and therefore not only are you going to have to find a an article 6 ground for doing what you want to do um, you also need to find an additional justification so your article 6 ground is likely to be your legitimate interest as we've discussed earlier but because of the nature of the data being collected um, via temperature testing you will also need to look at that further article 9 ground uh, one of which is explicit consent and one of which um, potentially is that it is necessary for you to carry out your rights and obligations under employment law and Sally there's a number of difficulties with explicit consent as we know in the employment context. Yes of course because obviously if if you are relying as well on on explicit consent as a lawful basis for processing personal data there are issues around the fact that employees obviously have the right to withdraw that consent at any time so there could be issues flowing from that um, and of course, what what you know in terms of what an employer does as well, if if an employee refuses to have to have a test, obviously in that type of situation, we would recommend that the employer takes takes legal advice before before considering taking any form of action against that particular employee. But on the testing point, Eleanor, I think again it's just important to highlight here that consideration really does need to be given as to is this really necessary? Obviously, this depends on on the sector that that the employer operates in. And and then there may well be business reasons as to why that testing needs to take place. But there really does need to be a consideration because of the type of data, as as Eleanor has pointed out, that we're dealing with here, special category data, you know, we really need to be thinking as to 
what what is what is testing um used for in this situation is it and and is it absolutely required and again um before introducing testing covid testing and um, temperature testing into the workplace again you will need to be undertaking a data protection impact assessment before before introducing this type of system and again updating your policies your privacy policy and making sure that you have all the relevant documentation in place and that your employees are of course aware that this is something that you're going to be doing but i think we've we've we we have obviously moved on um quite some way now from where we were 5 or 6 months ago and and 5 or 6 months ago obviously as 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 we all know a high temperature is still a symptom of covid however we also know that um many many people can you know can have the virus without showing any symptoms at all um and so it you know consideration does need to be given as to whether is it necessary to be doing temperature testing in the workplace and just to pick up on that it, it is worth noting that when you're looking at your justification the taking of temperature testing is not something that's currently recommended by government or the world no. health organization and certainly the medicines and healthcare products regulatory agency says that it's not necessarily a reliable measure for testing for covid and so um whilst you um on the face of it may have a legitimate interest in 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 taking the temperature and feel that you can justify the processing of that given the the weight of evidence almost against yes. the um against the reliability of temperature testing um that may well impact on your ability to be able to justify that type of processing it is worth however saying that guidance is continually being updated Absolutely. so whilst that's not something mm-hmm. at the st- this stage the current government guidance recommends um that might change at, or there may be other sort of forms of testing which which develop over the coming months which may make your justification easier yeah absolutely um, just to move on then, we've mentioned um, COVID testing itself, and obviously those are much more invasive than temperature checking. And again, as Sally has said, it would be absolutely imperative to be carrying out a data protection impact assessment if you are looking to run even more invasive testing um, than simply temperature um, checks. So um, that would be absolutely crucial. Um, moving then on to CCTV, um, Sally, I don't know if you've... Um, had a couple of clients recently with with this issue about yeah. whilst people are sort of starting to return to the workplace that, that that's right Eleanor we have had a few issues actually where employers have approached us for some advice as to as to what to do in a situation where it may have been that employees have been in close contact they're then required to self-isolate because they've been in close contact with each other and then the employer is asking whether or not they can use CCTV as a way of of proving really that those particular employees have been in close contact, which of course would potentially be a breach of the employer's policy because the employer's policy will be that employees are meant to be obviously keeping, um, are meant to be socially distanced in the workplace and shouldn't have been in close contact with each other. And that has cropped up as as, as an issue um, on a fair few occasions over the last the last couple of months. And and again, I think my my initial advice on that has ultimately been that Again, obviously, reviewing CCTV in this type of context can be can be fairly intrusive. And as a starting point, an employer should really be looking as to as to whether there's any other ways of being able to able to prove that particular um, point. So to be able to prove that employees have been in close contact, are there any other ways that the employer could rely on? So, for example, are there, are there any witnesses that would be able to corroborate that those employees have been in close contact rather than relying on on CCTV footage? Um, again, it's not necessarily something I think that is um, is advocated as as being the norm, and that you should automatically go to look at the CCTV. I think you do need to be considering 
other issues and other ways of, of demonstrating um, the particular conduct if you are looking to rely on that in, in the form of a disciplinary Absolutely. And I think the ICO, whilst the ICO themselves recognises that analysis of CCTV could assist with contact tracing and enabling self-isolation, it needs to be balanced with the legitimate expectations that employees have, that they can um, keep personal lives private and that they are entitled to a degree of privacy in the work environment. So um, it's it's going to be imperative to look at whether the use of CCTV is necessary, justified and proportionate. Um, And as you've alluded to, to to carry out a DPIA, um, if you are going to be introducing CCTV and the ICA has got a a very helpful template that it's created with the Surveillance Camera Commissioner, and that's available on its website if you are looking to um, maybe introduce that sort of policy. And and again, Eleanor, just thinking back as well, if if you haven't already got one, um, quite a few employers do have CCTV policies in place, and those policies outline, for example, the types of reasons that employers may seek to rely on CCTV footage. So again, just have a think about whether you need to be either, if you haven't already got one, do you need to be introducing that type of policy, which we would absolutely recommend that you do if you're using CCTV footage. And again, thinking about if you do have one, is it updated? Does it need updating to cover this type of situation? Um, so again, just really important to to consider that. And And likewise, with your privacy notice, your privacy policy, has that been updated to, to cover this type of situation? If it hasn't, then you know, think about doing that as soon as possible and making sure that your employees are aware that those policies have been updated as well and encourage them to read them, familiarise themselves with them and to obviously approach you if they have any particular questions or concerns. Absolutely. So um, I think that really is a whittle-stop tour through some of the main um, main concerns that our clients have certainly raised in relation to GDPR over the last few months. We'll be keeping an eye on this space and um, hope to do a couple more of these in, in the near future. But thank you very much for, for joining with us today. Thank you very much. Bye, all. Bye. If you would like to take part in the conversation, suggest a topic, or need some further guidance for your organisation, please get in touch at socialhousing at hjtalks.co.uk. For more information on Hugh James and the services we offer, visit hughjames.com or check us out on Twitter at PropertyHJ.